This podcast is brought to you by Schweitzer Church. If you want to learn more about us, please visit any of the links in the description. And now, please enjoy the message. Hey, welcome today. My name is Spencer. I'm so glad that you're here. Today and next week, we're going to be on a really short series, um, just two weeks, as we talk about this um, incredibly elusive and challenging idea of contentment. That's going to be this week and next week. Now, I say contentment is elusive because in our world, contentment is incredibly rare. Which is kind of strange, isn't it? I mean, we live in an age of plenty. I mean, never in human history has there been more money in the hands of more people. And yet, contentment is this thing that's just incredibly rare in the world that we live in. And that's just so, so strange because despite our plenty, so many of us live our lives as if there's just not enough to go around. I mean, what is the answer to the the basic question? Like, how much do you need in life? What's the answer that everyone's going to give? The answer is really simple. Uh, more. I need more. Whatever it is that I need, I need. I just need more of. And so while we certainly have enough, lots and lots and lots of us are living our lives as if there's just not enough to go around. There's not enough for us. And, and, and so we're not going to be content until we have achieved this ever-shifting target of more. Now, I can't help but wonder if our lack of contentment is also tied into this mental health crisis that we have brewing in our society as numbers of anxiety and depression are just skyrocketing around, like is, is one of the reasons why we, we um, have this, this mental health crisis is, is, that, is that this lack of contentment or this lack of satisfaction we have in our life is just is linked to these kinds of things. So I can't, I can't help but wonder, like in this age of plenty, why is contentment or satisfaction so rare? That's what we're going to tease out for the next two weeks. And we're going to do this by, by going to a, a teaching in the New Testament that's largely overlooked, but is incredibly, um, incredibly, incredibly challenging. One of the most incredibly challenging teachings in the New Testament. It's in Philippians chapter four, which is the very end of this letter. Philippians is a letter is written by Paul. We're going to read two paragraphs from the very end of this letter that deal with this um, elusive and challenging thing called contentment. And we're going to read one paragraph this week and one paragraph next week as we wrestle through um, this, this teaching. This is just an incredibly helpful, encouraging, and challenging teaching, um, especially for those of us who live in this age of plenty and yet fail to experience contentment in life. And so here's what Paul teaches at the very end of this letter, Philippians chapter 4, verse 10. Here's what he says. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you have had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I'm gonna read that last line one more time. For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Now, Philippians, along with some other letters in the New Testament, is called a prison epistle. The word epistle just means uh, uh, letter, so I don't expect you to remember that. But one of the things you should know about Philippians is that this, along with several other letters in the New Testament, were written from prison. Paul is in a Roman prison while he writes this, and he's in a Roman prison because of his faith in Christ. He's being persecuted. This persecution is going to lead to his execution. Church tradition holds that Paul is executed sometime around the year um, AD 64. It has to do with the burning of Rome that uh, happened under Nero's watch that led to this great persecution of the church, but that's another sermon. Um, but just think about that background for just a second. Paul is in a Roman 
prison. He's in chains writing this letter and, and maybe he pulls on one of his chains to get a better angle on his parchment as he writes this last line from verse 11. For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Like what an astounding thing to say. I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. What an astounding thing to say because this, this is not the kind of circumstances that you think should lead to contentment. Paul's life is not going well. He's not on some beach enjoying a vacation where life is perfect and he's writing about contentment. Paul is facing danger, true, true danger. Life is hard and yet he writes, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. And on, and on top of that, I just think about Paul himself and how astounding it is that even someone like Paul would write that line that, that I have learned to be consent, uh, to con content whatever the circumstances because Paul is not one of those people that you would consider or think to be like a contentment kind of guy. Like, like Paul is a type A kind of person. He's driven, he's accomplished, he gets things done. He's an incredibly hard worker. He travels nonstop. He, he goes into all these towns and he starts churches. By the way, starting up churches for Paul was what he did in his free time. For his real job, the, the way he actually made money is he made tents that people, you know, sleep in. And so that's a physically demanding job. But in his free time, he would go and he would start these churches and he'd write these letters. And, and in his free time, he becomes the person who's most responsible for the Christian movement surviving the first century. So I don't know what you do with your free time, but Paul writes letters that turn into books of the Bible. This is what he does in his free time. So he's a type A uh, driven kind of person. And, and, and he's not the kind of person that you would think to, to be writing about contentment. Like, I don't think Paul would be a very fun person to hang out with. He's so driven. He's so ambitious. And I've heard people like that before. Type A kind of people. Driven, ambitious kind of people. I've heard people like that sometimes criticize the idea of contentment as if contentment is laziness or a lack of ambition. But in reality, what we're talking about here is just simply finding satisfaction in life. And so Paul, type A kind of person, also going through incredibly hard circumstances, and yet he's writing here about contentment. Like, we need to listen to what he has to say because he knows what he's writing about. So verse 12, um, he says this, just to keep reading the very next verse. He says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've lived both. Life has been good. Life has been hard. I've lived both. He says, I've learned the secret the secret, catch that, I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. So I've learned the secret. So what is the secret to being content? What is the secret to being satisfied in life no matter what it is that's happening to me? What is the secret? Here comes Philippians 4.13, the very next verse, one of the most famous verses in the Bible. Here is the secret to being content. Paul writes, I can do all this through him, that is Jesus, who gives me strength. Now we're going to stop here and pick this up uh, in the exact same spot next week. But today I want to talk about this last verse here, Philippians 4.13, and how this is the secret to being content, because this is what Paul teaches. Philippians 4.13, one more time. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Now this verse is so famous. It's on artwork and athletes write it on their shoes. I mean, it's just a, such a famous verse. So I wanna read this in a different way, a different translation. Um, and a translation that doesn't use these famous words. So maybe we can understand this um, a little bit better because for some of us, this verse is so familiar. We don't realize what it is really about. So I wanna read this from the message. 
um, so that we can read this without that famous language. And here's how this, these two verses work in the message. So verse 12 and 13, one more time, different translation. Paul writes, I've found the recipe for being happy, whether full or hungry, hands full or hands empty, whatever I have, whatever I am, wherever I am, I can make it through anything in the one who makes me who I am. I can make it because of the one who defines me. I can make it because of the one who is the source of my life. I can make it because of the one who makes me alive. This is the secret of being content that, that when we live in Jesus, we can make it. The secret of contentment is that we live in Jesus. So here, here's a question that might feel like it has an obvious answer, but it's worth asking and it's worth teasing out. But why is the secret to contentment living in Jesus? Why is Jesus the secret to, to being content? Well, this reminds me of something else Paul writes. If you go to the same letter, Philippians, and you read from chapter three, we just read from chapter four, but you just turn the page, you go one chapter back. I want you to listen to how Paul describes Jesus. So this is Philippians three, one chapter before this, this is what he writes. He says, whatever were gains to me. He's talking here about his life before he knows Jesus. And if you don't know Paul's story, Paul was not one of those guys who's like down and out and that's how he found the Lord. He's not like someone who woke up in the gutter one day and said, I got, I've hit rock bottom. I need to change my life. That's not Paul's story at all. Paul had a tremendous amount of success. Um, he was a person who, who was up and coming, climbing the ladder of success. He was wealthy. He was powerful. He was well-connected. Um, he, he was somebody who's climbing the ladder. Like, honestly, he's living the kind of life that lots and lots and lots of people hope for. And then he meets Jesus and everything changes. And so thinking about his life and how great, honestly, it was, how powerful he was and how well-connected he was and how he was going places to his life now that he follows Christ, he says, whatever regains to me in my old life, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them, listen to this, garbage that I may gain Christ. By the way, that word garbage is a really nice way of cleaning up this translation here because the literal Greek word right there is way more graphic than garbage, but I'll leave that up to you. But I don't want you to miss the point that he's making here. Paul's like, before I knew Jesus, I chased after all these things in the world that people chase after. Power, wealth, success, comfort, reputation, achievement. But he's like, now that I know Jesus, all of those things are like garbage. He goes on, verse 10, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead, not that I've already obtained all this or I've already arrived at my goal, but I love this. He says, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I love that. Now, as you listen to his teaching here, how would you describe Paul's ambition in life? 
Well, he laid it out to, it's really simple, and we read it directly. It's in verse 10. He said simply this, I want to know Christ. This is Paul's ambition. And the reason for this is because what Jesus offers is so much better than anything else I'm going to find in the world. In fact, everything else in the world that I could chase after is like garbage compared to him. He is that much better. And so the reason why it's the secret to contentment, Philippians 4.13, is I can do all this through him who gives me strength. It's very simple. The reason why that's the secret to contentment is because nothing compares to Jesus. Nothing. Nothing I can chase after. Nothing I can accumulate. Nothing I can achieve. Nothing I can earn. Nothing that can be given to me compares to Jesus. Because nothing I have is as great as him. Everything else is like garbage compared to him. I want to know Christ. So Paul's content not because his circumstances are good, but because his ambition in life has changed. Now, if your ambition is more, you know, whatever more is, that shifting target of more, or if your ambition is comfort, or if your ambition is wealth, if your ambition is your job, if your ambition is your reputation, all of those ambitions are dependent on your circumstances. And so therefore, you're always chasing after them. You're always seeking it. And you're in a circular kind of cycle where you're just always seeking after this but never able to achieve it because all of those ambitions are circumstantial. But if the ambition of your life is to know Jesus, well, now we're talking about something else entirely. And to say that our ambition is Jesus is not like a theoretical kind of thing. This is not abstract. This is an insanely practical thing to say that our ambition is Jesus, because what that means is to make Jesus the ambition of our life, is to say that I'm going to conform my life to the way of Jesus. I'm gonna conform my values, my ethics, my understanding of the world, my decisions, my relationships, my vocation, my body, my self-esteem, how I think about myself, how I think about my neighbor. Like all of these things are gonna to come to be conformed to the way of Jesus, to live under his authority. Now in this specific instance we're reading in Philippians 4 here, well, Paul is very specifically talking about trusting God to provide for him in his life. And so what Paul's talking about here is I'm gonna, I'm gonna even submit my circumstances, whether it's my, whether I am well fed or whether I'm, I'm, I'm hungry, whether I have plenty or whether I'm in need, like the actual provision of my life, the physical resources of my life. I'm even gonna conform that part of my life to the teaching and the way of Jesus. So let's, let's get practical here because this is a very practical proposition to make Jesus the ambition of our life. So let's, let's tease this out for just a second. What does it look like to conform our lives to Jesus when it comes to what we have, our physical needs, what, what provides for us? What does it look like to conform our lives to Jesus when it comes to our possessions, when it comes to our income, when it comes to our investments, when it comes to our wealth, when it comes to our savings, when it comes to our debt, like what does it look like to conform our lives to Jesus when it comes to these very practical parts of our life about providing for us? Now there's a tremendous amount that we could say about this because then it turns out the New Testament talks a lot about money. In fact, Jesus talked about money more than he talked about heaven or hell. And the reason for this is because money is not a trivial thing. It's a very important part of our life and it's very precious to us. And so therefore, Jesus talks about it a lot. But there's one value in particular that Jesus lifts up that I believe really helps us understand um, how to conform our life to the way of Jesus in a way that builds contentment because of the, uh, 
these things that we have, the, the, the possessions and the wealth that we have in our life. There's one value in particular that Jesus lives up, and it's something that Jesus himself said that it's something that we have to conform our lives to, and it's this. So Jesus said, quote, it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. Now, of course, this is the way of Jesus because this is how you know, Jesus lived. I think about how the way of Jesus is the values of Jesus, is that the life of service and giving to others is always better than just accumulating for yourself. This is why Jesus, for instance, washed his disciples' feet, is that the life of giving to another is better than just receiving for oneself. This is why Jesus said things like, uh, the greatest among you will be your servant. That's in Matthew 23, or the first to be last and last to be first. That's in Mark 10, Luke 13, or Matthew 20. He said that one quite a bit, where Jesus said, uh, uh, those who exalt themselves be humbled and those who humble themselves be exalted. That's in Matthew 20 or Matthew 16. Jesus says those who want to save their life will lose it, but those who lose their life for my sake will find it. That's in Matthew 16. Like Jesus had this Oftentimes, this value system they talked about how, how the way of the world is to elevate yourself, exalt yourself, try to get as much for yourself as you can. But the way of Jesus is this way of humility and service and giving to others. And so it makes perfect sense that when it comes to our relationship with our money, that the value set of Jesus would also be at work here, that it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. Now, as we take that value of Jesus, that principle, and we start to apply it to our possessions, we apply it to our wealth, we apply it to our income, we apply it to what we have, well, all of a sudden, we begin to discover a very countercultural way to live. Because to live with this mindset that it's more blessed to give than it is to receive, this value set of Jesus, and to apply that to our life, to conform our life to that, I mean, that is to walk out of step with what our world does. It is walk upstream against culture. This is not how the culture of our world works. This is not the message of the world that we have heard. This is not the way of life that people around us are living. Let me show you the math on this. So recently I did this uh, search on a tool on Google called the Google Ingram Viewer. This is um, a really interesting tool that searches the frequency of words that are in all of the books on the Google Books database, which is basically every book that's ever been published. And so what this tool does is it searches the word frequency, and the idea is that how frequent words are used over time shows their popularity and therefore shows how people think and what the value sets um, of the world is or the culture is at any given time. So you can chase this out over, over a long period of time. So I did a, a word search with two words to show some, some relationship and how the world thinks and what the culture is at and, 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 and this world that we live in. And so I did two, uh, a comparative search of two words. The words were um, give and get. And, and here's what the math shows. Here's the frequency of how these words are used over time. So here's the chart. From 1800 until about 1940, the word give dominated the word frequency. Um, and then in about 1940 until about 1970, for about 30 years, those words were used in every book that was published in about the same amount of frequency. But then about 1970, people started to use the word get far more often than the word give. And so by the time you get to the 2010s, the word get was used about twice as often in all of the published work on the Google Books database. Now, what do you think that says to us about where our culture is at and the message that we have from the world and what people want in life? I think it says something about why it is, we started with this question, like why it is in our age of plenty. Why is contentment so rare? In our age of filling our lives with whatever it is we want, 
Why are we so unsatisfied? In our age where there has been more money in the hands of more people than ever before, why is it that we never feel like we have enough? Like, why is it that in this age we can buy whatever you want and you can get it on next day shipping? Why is it that we don't feel like we have what we're looking for? Could it, could it be that the reason why contentment is so elusive is we have the values exactly backwards? I mean, Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than it is to receive, but in our individualistic, hedonistic, material way, materialistic way of living, we just focus on getting more. And in the results is we're actually less content, less happy, less joyful, and instead more of us are more anxious and more depressed than ever. And maybe, just maybe, what we need most is not more things to fill our life with, but maybe, just maybe, what we need most is to live our lives in conformity to Jesus, the values that he has, where it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. And the true measure of our lives is not in what we have, but in what we give to others. So in our church, one of the core Christian practices that we teach is a practice called tithing, where we take 10% of our giving, our income, and we give it back to the work that God is doing. And we're not embarrassed to talk about tithing in our church. We're not ashamed of this. We don't make concessions. We don't hide this. This is not something that we, you know, set on the back burner. We, we believe that the Bible teaches us that we are to give 10% of our income to God's work. And, and, and really, even to make this more offensive, if, if tithing is offensive to you, is we believe this is like the starting point, not the end point, because some of us are going to be called to give way more than 10%. It's just, this is what we're moving towards. This is what we're leaning towards, is that this, there needs to be intentional, practical practices in our lives that lead us towards the acts of generosity. This is one of the reasons I'm not embarrassed to talk about this, is because in the culture we live in, I've become more and more convinced that practices like, like tithing are actually more important today than maybe they were in past generations because the culture we live in is so much more me-centered and all the messages that we receive from the world is just about getting more. We have to have disciplined, practical, intentional efforts to reorient our relationship with money. We have to have new ways of reframing our relationship with money according to the way of Jesus that we might find our lives lived in conformity with him. So don't underestimate the importance of, of, of reframing our relationship with money and wealth and possessions according to the way of Jesus. And when that happens, don't be surprised that satisfaction starts to grow because you're basing your life now in the way of Jesus, which is always a better way to live. A couple of years ago, I ran across the story of Robert Herjavec. If that name sounds familiar, he is one of the investors on the show Shark Tank. Um, I think he was also on Dancing with the Stars, but I can't vouch for that because I've never seen an episode. But I have watched Shark Tank, and if you're not familiar with that show, um, Shark Tank is a, a, th uh, some investors who are a panel. Mark Cuban is one of them, and people bring their business ideas, and these investors decide whether or not they're going to um, invest in these businesses. Now, Robert Herjavec, one of the investors, he made his money in internet security, sold his company to AT&T, made hundreds of millions of dollars. And so um, he is... Uh, you know, a, a very successful, top of the world kind of person. He's a minor celebrity. And about 10 years ago, Robert Herjavec's life started to fall apart. Um, his marriage began to implode, he began to lose his family. He had suicidal ideation. So he talks about being on the top of a hotel and looking down over the balcony and thinking about ending his life. I mean, really, really sad, um, tragic uh, thing. But that experience of, of suicide ideation, it woke him up and it told him that he needed to get help. And so he went and sought help from several different sources. 
And one of the people he went to get help from was um, his pastor. Now, Herjavec, if we think about this for a second, he's on top of the world, incredibly successful, powerful, well-connected. He's wealthy, like he is living the kind of life that our culture would dream about. And he's miserable. And so his pastor, he, 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 he rightly could see these things. And so he encouraged Herjavec with this principle of Jesus. It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. And so he, he encouraged him that he needed to reorient his relationship with money and his possessions and all that he has. And so his pastor connected him to an organization called Union Gospel Mission. And he encouraged him to begin serving there. And so Robert Herjavec, this multimillionaire, started to serve food to homeless men. He started to give money to the organization. He started to raise money through his uh, other wealthy, powerful, connected friends as well to do fundraisers for this mission. And in his own words, what he says about this experience of, of beginning to, to give of himself for these people is he says that that relationship between generosity and service, it didn't just change his life, his words, it saved his life. Of course it did, because it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. This is the value system of Jesus, and it's the actual right way to live. I mean, as we pursue more and more and more and more, this ever-shifting target of more that our culture wants, that we just get and get and get and get, we're never going to be content. It's going to be elusive, and we're never going to have it. We're never going to be satisfied. We're always going to be feeling like we're missing out. But when our relationship to money, to possessions, to wealth begins to change because we're conforming our life to the way of Jesus, well, now our ambition in life has changed. Our ambitions about what we have are changed. And we begin to see that life is not lived by just getting more, but contentment is found in giving more. This is the way of Jesus. And when Jesus is the ambition of our life, well, this is not just something we say, it's the way that we actually begin to live. And this is why we lift up practices like tithing and generosity, that we begin to reorient our relationship to what we have. So we're not just living like the world tells us, but we're living the value system of Jesus, that it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. Let's pray together. And so Father, today, as we uh, think about the values of Jesus, may you challenge the ambition of our life, that it's not just to receive more, it's not just to get more, it's not just to have more, it's not just to make more, it's not just to rise higher or to achieve greater things, but really the ambition of our life is to live like you, to have the value systems of Jesus, where the first will be last, the last will be first, where the greatest will be the least and least will be the greatest, where those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted, where it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. But frankly, many of us have lived our lives with the opposite value system, the value system of this world, the value system of this culture. Would you speak to us, Lord, about the things that we've put first? Would you speak to us about the values that you have for us? And may we come to repentance and confession to find a different way to live. For some of us, we need to very intentionally look at our, our giving, um, to look at what it is that we are intentionally cultivating in our lives through the practice of generosity, through the practice of tithing, that this is a step that you want us to take. Because frankly, we have just simply assimilated the value system of this world. Jesus, would you come first in our life as we seek to conform our lives to the way of Jesus, because you are our ambition. 
And you have modeled for us that it is more blessed to give than is received because you gave yourself for us. For anyone who's with us who doesn't know this gift of grace and mercy, we just offer a simple prayer, Lord Jesus, would you forgive me of my sin? Would you lead my life? Simple prayer to start us on this path of faith, to live in conformity with Jesus, the Son of God. Lord, we love you and we thank you. And it's in his name we pray today. Amen. Thank you for listening to a Schweitzer podcast. We hope you found this message to be helpful and encouraging. If you enjoyed this experience, please remember to share us with your friends and neighbors. Thanks again for stopping by and remember, you are loved.